0: Amen. Can we give our worship team a hand? Thank you, worship team. So grateful for worship in the house this morning. Are you? Yes. Pastor Shane jinxed me. Uh, he said that I. Preach in thirty-five minutes. I did that because there's a first service that goes into a second service. You're at the eleven a.m. service. There's no service, so timely Tracy might extend her time. We'll see. We'll see. No, I will. We'll we'll preach the word. We'll just let the Holy Spirit, guys. Right. Right. Um, But I love Pastor Shane. Thank you for um, speaking to just what God has done at KCOM. I'm so proud to be a part of Capital Church and. The mission that God put in, really, Pastor Ken and Dr. Stan's heart years ago, how long has it been now? De- it's decades, um, where we've had a, a, a footprint, a little one from Boise, Idaho, that we've had a been able to go and be a part of KCOM. Both Pastor Shane and I have um, had the great honor of teaching, so it's near and dear to us. If you went to KCOM, if you went to Kenya and you got a pastor, some of these pastors, man, you would be changed for the rest of your life. If you just got to have tea time with them, if you just got to drink some tea um, and you got to be in their presence and you hear their stories, and man, it's just such an honor. So thank you, church. I, I just echo Pastor Shane's gratefulness in the church is thankfulness for your generosity to to the mission of KCOM. and hey i know pastor simon you watch online all the time so pastor simon and all of our kenyan pastors we love you kabisa kabisa you know what that means you love it when i say it i still don't totally know what it means but you guys laugh um, and i just we love you and we pray for you and we're we're praying for dr stan and dr graybill as they're there right now but all my t- Timely Tracy's time is wasting away. I got to get to the word. I got to get to the point. Um, But yeah, so I'm Tracy. I'm so honored to be able to preach this morning. Pastor Chris asked me to preach, and um, he he basically is putting me in as the prequel to, we're about to start a seven-week sermon series that you don't want to miss. He's been talking about this, Pastor Shane, for a good six months i feel like he's been talking to us and the preaching team and and um i love that about our pastor he's thinking he thinks way down the line he's like studying god's put stuff in his heart we're gonna go into a series talking about the five distinctives of the early church this is pretty cool because who thinks the early church is a pretty good model for the modern day church I think so. And um, so Pastor Chris feels like the direction that we're going to go in the next several weeks is we're going to talk about the five distinctives. And they're pretty amazing. Like one is, um, and I'll briefly just kind of list them. I don't know what order. Pastor Chris is going to mix it up. He's going to shake you up. It's going to be good. They're hot topics, though. You don't want to miss. One talking about the early church really had a strong sexual ethic. They understood um, morality and believed in it. We're living in a very unusual time when it comes to sexualization Um, Um, and those roles, and we are going, Pastor, not we, I'm not touching that sermon. Pastor Chris is gonna come in and he is going to scripturally really lead us as a church. I'm so excited about that. The early church also felt such a strong emphasis towards the family um, and what that meant, what that looked like, um, what was, I mean, the way that women were treated, children were treated in in the first and second centuries were very unlike how the church treated them in a positive way. The church really knew how to treat women and children where they were treated as second-class citizens outside of the kingdom of God. And so the church was strong on, uh, they were against infanticide and abortion. We've talked about that already in the church. We'll continue to talk about that. It is our it's our great right as the people of God to care for children, to care for women. And we're going to continue to do that. There was a multi-ethnic tabling that happened all across the early church. Jesus believed in Jesus started it. It was his tabling ministry that led into this, but it was people from different cultures, different backgrounds. Jesus was, was was in trouble all the time with the Pharisees for the people he sat down and ate with. and But the early church sat down together, tabled together, grew together. There was also, and, and I'm so grateful for uh, Daniel and Lindsay are sitting right here in the front row, their ministry with neighbor. This was the, the fourth distinctive was caring for the poor, caring for those who couldn't always care for themselves. That is an essential part of a Christian distinctive. If we are people of God, we care for the poor. We care for those who can't care for themselves in certain areas. And then the last one, number five, is, a, uh, is an understanding of a non-retaliatory love, meaning they blessed and forgave their enemies. Yeah. You do not want to miss that service. Because come on, who could say in this place say, I need to grow in on that one? Probably all five. But this is going to be an amazing sermon series. You don't want to miss it, um, and Pastor Chris will bring it. I just, I can't wait. I could listen to him all, all day long. So, so then he said, Trace, how about you start with a little prequel? What do you want to preach? I'm like, I don't know. Like, how do I, how do you lead into this? So, I feel like the Lord of the Rings right now. Like, I'm the Amazon that everyone is mad at. This, like prequel that's on Amazon, Amazon right now. For Lord. I've never seen Lord of the Rings. Forgive me for those of you who are obsessed. But apparently, the Amazon prequel is ruining your life. Lives. It's kind of how I feel coming into this sermon series, like I'm supposed to set the tone and Pastor Chris is going to come. So it's like the, whole, the Holy Spirit knows, the Lord knows. But Pastor Chris and I discussed this, really the heartbeat of today is to really get our hearts ready. I think, for the next several weeks, what God's going to speak to us. So can we just have that posture today that our hearts are going to be open and receptive to what God wants to speak to us, not just today, but in the weeks to come? Because I'm just just—I'm not under any illusions that I've arrived, and I hope you're not either. I hope that we understand that that we're going from glory to glory. That there's maturity that's still needed. There's things that are still required of me to grow in, and 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 God wants to work those things out so that I can be the person that He's called me to be in this broken world. So, we're going to lead in today with uh, what I think is an important. Um, topic and something that I think is going to help us as we proceed in the next several weeks. And that's understanding the main thing. What's the most important thing? And I think as a people of God, it's unity. Without unity, God can't command a blessing because he says with it he does. And there's something in the kingdom of God and in the church globally, not just capital church. Capital church, God loves us. We're not perfect, but man, I think we're the best church in the world. But there's Globally, I think what happens is there are so many things and opinions and ideas and, um, and issues that swirl in our world that it's easy for division to come in the church. It's easy for disagreements and um, uh, just disgruntled kind of debates that go on. Now, it's, it's, it's not that we can't have discussions. I think those are so healthy and important, but not when it moves into disunity, And so I'm reminded, and Pastor Chris, and I talked about this, I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes. I've wrongly associated it with St. Augustine. I think he he used it, and this is how I know, but it was probably before him, a Roman, or excuse me, a Lutheran German theologian came up with it. He says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. This was The early church adopted this phrase. Um, The early church fathers used it in their theology and structuring the church and how we as the people of God work together. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty or grace. In all things, charity. It's a Latin phrase, but the word charity there is actually probably better described or better um, defined as love. In all things, love. which Which is the foundation of the Christian faith, isn't it? It's a walk in love. So this is the phrase that we're going to work through today and that we're going to probably, which I think Paul does a really good job of helping us to see that this is not a modern day 21st century Boise, Idaho, Capital church issue. This is a, this is embedded in the fabric of the church and in the humanity is that it's easy to fall into non-essential categories, Right where we kind of just get really hung up on something that, man, seems really important in the moment. But over time, and over time, hopefully in the presence of God, we realize, ah, maybe that wasn't such a big deal. Have you ever gotten a fight or an argument with someone, and later you're like, that was so stupid, but you're already so deep? Yeah. <laughs> you're in way too deep? So you just ride the wave of it for a really long time, and hope, hopefully they forget? Come on. Instead of getting into these spaces, what if we lived our life living in the essentials that we come together in unity? In the non-essentials, we give grace, we give liberty, but in all things, we walk in love. See, this expression, this, this Latin phrase that was given to us, expresses the importance of that orthodoxy and grace can exist together. They can live together. I can live In this space together, I can give grace and I can be pretty, pretty sure about my conviction and what I believe, but they can live together within the family of God. So this this non essentials does not mean it's not important like you really 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 believe that you know that you cannot work on Sunday and you need your family needs to just stay home after church and you just it's just chill relax and that's what you, that's great. It's not saying that this is not important but what it's saying is it will not prevent you in your relationship with Jesus. In your union with Jesus and your union in the family of God. It will not prevent it. It does not limit it. But in the essential things, there are things in Scripture that are so clear. When the Bible is clear, the Bible is clear. And it's clear sin is sin. No way getting around that, right? There's no place in Scripture that adultery is going to be okay. Some of you are like, I can find a way. No, you can't. Come on. Like, loving your enemy is clear, so you can't hate. Oh, wow, tough crowd at the 11 a.m. Want to hold on to the hate one? Well, the Holy Spirit knows how to get you today, okay. We can't hate. We have to bless those who persecute us. That's super annoying. Clear in scripture, right? What's clear? Jesus, essential, clear. Jesus came, shed his blood, died for us, incarnation, resurrection, the Holy Trinity, all these things are clear. But what happens in scripture when there are things that aren't clear? What happens Well, what often happens within the church is we f- we think we think it's clear and we begin to live based on our clarity, and then we shove our clarity down someone else's throat, and they better think the same thing in conviction. And what happens is now you have division, now you have disunity, now you have disruption. And today, Paul helps us in Romans chapter 14 to see some non-essential things that we're trying to disrupt and divide the church in Rome. And they're not too unlike things we deal with today. So Romans chapter 14, let's read it together. you excited? Are you ready? Are you nervous? I had two cups of coffee before the 9 a.m. That's why I went fast too. I'm already slowing down. Can you tell if you've been here for two services? I was talking so fast, I was scared. Okay. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in the honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us, each of us will give an account of himself to God, of himself. All right, you ready? Lord, do whatever you wanna do. Lord, we thank you for your church. I know you love your people. God, I pray that this day would be one that honors you and how we communicate the word. Thank you for the opportunity. I never count it lightly. Lord, the great honor it is to communicate your word. So Lord, I thank you today. Our hearts would be open to receive whatever you want to say in Jesus name. amen. Amen. So there seems to be this issue here where scripture is not clear at least to the to the early church or they're not clear on some particular issues one being food and the other one being observance of holy days so it's kind of like a gray area have you ever come to something in your relationship with jesus where you find a gray area you can't quite find like the black and white scripture where it's just emphatically this way that way it's, it's just it's kind of gray um we tend to I, and i can only speak for maybe charismatic movement i think we're really good at, at finding a scripture to fill our gray area um, but, but sometimes it's just, it's ambiguous for a reason. That's okay. Some of you are like, no, 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 it's, uh, we have to know, we have no, no, you cannot know everything in the Bible. Okay. And that's okay. Just take a deep breath. There are going to be things that we don't get cl- full clarity on and that's okay. This is what Paul's dealing with. I experienced this sort of gray area of life and two very, very opinion insi- opinionated sides when I became a mom. Parents are very opinionated about parenting, I discovered. And so there's like moms are like, "Uh uh-huh. And I remember the biggest issue or the biggest um, situation for me that I found people were so, and it was unsolicited. I mean, I never went to, some. it was like, oh dear God, I did not know that this was such a big thing is how your child sleeps is apparently the most important thing about you as a parent. So I early days when Declan was first born and I'm trying to navigate this new life and I thought I was going to like nail it because I had taken care of everyone else's children. I have raised my brother and sister's children. I thought, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be easy until it's your own." And then you're like, "Oh no. What have I done?" So I'm in the midst of, you know, trying to figure out the sleeping and I would have parents come to me and it was just like I was like oh, how kind and how sweet they'd say, "How this is the first question people ask you. How are they sleeping?" And I was like, oh my gosh, they care so much about me. Like they're worried about my sleep and Declan's sleep and they want to be here to help. No, they didn't. They did not want to help. They wanted to tell me what I was going to do and what I should do and what worked for their kids who are 29 years old now. And it's like, I, I don't, okay, but and like, do you even accurately remember? But So they come to me. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh crap, was I one of the ones that did that? And i <laughs> Yes, you were. And I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but so they'd come to you and they'd go, How is he sleeping? And I'm like, oh, not great. You know? I am like, I'm trying this and da-da-da. And they're like, no, no, no. So what I quickly learned, there are two camps in the sleeping camp. One is don't you dare let that child cry. Don't you dare put them in a room by themselves and lock the door and shut off the lights and turn off the sound machine. Because if you do that, they are psychologically damaged for the rest of your life. And you better put them in counseling right now because you have ruined them if they even cry. I remember one time, Pastor Kelly with her seven children came over to help me in the middle of the night because Declan was crying and I didn't know what to do. And she goes, so sweet. She goes, well, Trace, sometimes babies just cry. And I was like, oh, okay. I guess they just cry sometimes. Like for no reason. I was like freed. I'm like, oh, it's okay if they cry? She's like, yes, sometimes they just cry. And I was like, okay. But I had been told, don't you dare let them cry. So I was like, oh my gosh, if I let them cry, I'm going to be paying for therapy for the rest of their lives. But then there's another camp. There's another camp that's just equally as strong. And they say, oh, you better put them in that room by themselves, lock the door, turn off the, don't even let light come in anywhere. You better have blacked out curtains, put a pillow under the door so no light streams in, and you better make them stay in there. And if they get up, you have ruined your life because they own you now. oh my gosh my kid is gonna be a delinquent like what's gonna happen like he's gonna destroy your life like this these are the only camps there was no gray area it was like no one came to me and said you just kind of got to figure out what works for your family like just survive like just make it through the you know it might be a hundred years before you sleep but you'll eventually will no one told me that they were like you've ruined him or you've ruined you those were the I'm like This is what, I was like, oh my word, this was my experience with what happens when there are very stark differences and people are strong in them. This is what I'm convinced of though. Why we're so strong in our opinions, not just about sleep training, it's just a good example. Just in general, why we're so strong on opinions we have in the church and maybe about specific things that we're very passionate about. Why do we feel the need? Because Paul tells us, just welcome them, don't quarrel over it. It's pretty clear. Just don't quarrel. Just let it go. But we can't let it go. Why? Because I'm convinced, at least this is me, not you, because if I'm wrong, I'm going to take you all down with me. <laughs> if I'm going to go to the dumpster fire for something that I'm wrong about, I don't want to go alone. You know, misery loves company. I think that's the human condition. We're like, if I'm wrong on something, on an issue, if, I, if I'm vehemently opposed to something or I believe so strongly about something, I'm going to bring a bunch of people with me. Because we just, we think that that's our duty. No, it's not. Paul makes it very clear. In Romans chapter 14, he says, hey, to the weak in faith. Now, he's not saying they're immature or that they are somehow weak and they can't carry themselves. What he's speaking about is here are Jewish Christians. They were formerly Jews. They follow Jewish traditions, observe the Jewish law. Now they have come to freedom in Jesus, but they're still observing a lot of Jewish law. So they're having a hard time or a difficult time Falling into this new life of Jesus where, guess what? I don't have to follow all the 600 plus laws that were given to me by Moses. Now I walk in a new life, which is following Jesus. Instead of looking at the law, I look at Jesus. So these new Jewish Christians are struggling with this because they've always been pretty strong about meat, right? Meat was a big deal to the Jewish world. They were, it was very important how the meat was, 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 killed slaughtered don't want to some of you vegetarians are like uncomfortable i I don't know how else to say it how the animal was slaughtered and there was blood everywhere just kidding (laughs) 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 oh man it's fun to preach at the 11 a.m so (laughs) They're uncomfortable with this because they they have strong opinions according to the jewish law well well so they're they're weak in the faith, meaning they haven't quite fully understood the freedom they have in Jesus. they're not quite there yet. like have you ever met a brand new Christian and some of the stuff they believe you're like? oh, Okay, and it's cute, right? And you're like, or they still they get saved, and then, you know, they're like came in a little hungover, and they were like partying the night before, and you're like, oh yeah, you don't, you probably shouldn't do that anymore, but they they don't know yet; they're still trying to figure it out. This is kind of the story we have in Romans chapter fourteen: is we have these new Jewish Christians who are trying to figure out. So you have one camp that's like fully just embraced the new life in Jesus like Paul. Paul's the leader of them. He's like, man, I'm so free. We're free in Jesus. We get to walk in this freedom. And so he's like, eat meat. Jesus himself in Mark and Matthew's gospel both says, eat meat, you can eat meat. But there's a whole camp that's like, eh, not quite sure because it's been embedded in the culture of their life is that you had to be careful of how the meat was prepared. And a further problem with the meat we see in Romans chapter 14 that Paul's addressing was that some of these were uncomfortable in having meat from an animal that had been slaughtered or had been sacrificed to an idol. To them, if they ate, and this is what's crazy, the best butcher blocks in town were next to the temples and next to where they had to sacrifice these idols. So this is, I mean, a great business idea for sure. But what was the problem for these Jewish Christians is where these people would go to take animals to idols and they were sacrificing them. Then the butcher was chopping them up and, you know, selling them. These Jewish Christians like, listen, I can't eat that meat because to them it was synonymous with worshiping that idol. But Paul comes to say, no, 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 it's okay. You have freedom. And there's this whole other camp that's like, who cares? I'm not, I'm not worshiping the idol. I'm just eating the meat. I'm having some barbecue. So there's these, two very polar opposite perspectives when it comes to food and so one camp decides I can't eat this meat it's unholy it's it's not kosher it's I if I eat it it's like I'm worshiping the idol so they just eat vegetables so here Paul comes in and he says hey don't quarrel you have differences on this don't quarrel let it go one, one, one way is not better than the other way. Just let it go. How about in Paul's, Paul's response to them is instead, why don't you give grace or liberty to those who abstain and those who don't abstain? Just let it go. Now, you're like, yeah, what's the big deal? Let it go. Really? Have you let stuff go? I was like, come on. I mean, people like you will get emails about things and it's like your number one essential is the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, and then how someone speaks to you. was like, no, that's not an essential, but we care so deeply about things that I don't think Paul would say is a big deal. And furthermore, Jesus would not say is a big deal. But we make our essentials like, yep, Jesus incarnate, died on the cross, loves me, died for my sins. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Holy Trinity. And then that person shouldn't practice yoga. And it's like, oh my gosh, I don't know. Is it clear in scripture? Ah, I don't know. Like, or you know, someone will say, shouldn't do anything on Sunday. It's holy day. You should go to church maybe and maybe just watch online and you should go and not do anything. Don't let your kids even play. It's like, oh my gosh, really? It's like we become so stuck on things. This is what's happening in Romans chapter 14. So the food is a big deal. This is a big deal to the people and they are struggling with this in this boundary where the scripture is not explicit. It doesn't tell you. So Paul's trying to lead them. He's like, listen, give freedom To the non-essentials. When you read the phrase non-essentials, according to the original Latin, another way that you can say it, in non-essentials liberty, it means in the doubtful things. In the doubtful things. In the things we don't know. Well, when you go into Romans chapter 14, when Paul says, don't quarrel over opinions, the word opinions means doubtful things. It's the things that we don't fully know. It's my opinion, it might not be yours, but don't quarrel over doubtful things. Don't quarrel over things that ultimately don't matter. How about we give our life to the things that do matter, which is Jesus. So this is the first thing, food. He gives us this, Paul gives us a a clear description and a clear understanding to welcome those who are weaker in the faith, who don't maybe have the same conviction yet, Welcome them and don't quarrel with them. And furthermore, it says, and don't welcome them with an, an ulterior motive to convince them that they are wrong. <laughs> I mean, how many times have we, oh, we welcome you. Come to our house. Let's go to lunch. Do you want to grab coffee? I'm like, you guys, I've been in church too long. I'm like, people ask me coffee, I'm nervous. I'm like, oh great, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to convince me of? It's like, come on, can can we just humbly recognize we don't know everything? But see, Paul says, "Don't, don't, don't quarrel with them and then don't try to convince them to come to your side. How about you just welcome them? How about you just give liberty? How about you give grace as much as you need grace? How about you live and lead with love? This is what Paul's saying. So this is the food. Then we move on to the holy days because it wasn't enough to have one issue. You got to have two in the church, you know? So now we have these holy day observances. See, just as food was important to the Jewish culture, holy days was even more important. It was a part of their identity. Like They observed these days. Like This was the most important thing for them. It, It in so much was validated who they were as a Jewish culture and community. I mean, think about the Jewish. If you read the Old Testament, think about these 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 parties that they would celebrate. It would take days, maybe a week, for them to get to the temple to celebrate these days. They had a very the, the the Jewish calendar was created based upon these holidays. They lived according to the Jewish observance of these holidays. So then all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene and is like, "Okay, you don't you don't really have to celebrate those anymore." And Paul has said, "Hey, we got freedom. We live in freedom. We don't have to live by these." Jesus is Jesus is the answer. Let's just celebrate. Jesus. And there is a whole camp of Jewish Christians that are like, nope, we're still celebrating. And they're looking down on the ones who aren't. But the ones who aren't are looking down on the ones who are. So there's just this constant like battle for who's better, who's a stronger Christian, who would trust Jesus more is within the church because they're fighting over the silliest, silliest things. And they're forgetting the main thing. Jesus came and he died. And he's given you freedom. And now you have the opportunity and the responsibility to showcase his freedom and his love and his mercy to the world. But instead, we're sitting in the church in Rome and we're fighting over veggies, meat, and the 4th of July. I mean, that would be my day because I couldn't give that one. I'd still be doing fireworks if we didn't do 4th of July. I'd be eating barbecue and I'd be by a lake. But come on. What do we in the church spend so much of our time, our energy, our Facebook posts, our conversations, going out to lunch or coffee with someone about non-essential things? Does not mean they're not important. I do not mean that. Paul does not mean that. The early church fathers don't mean that. Jesus doesn't mean that. But there is a priority when it comes to following Jesus. There is an order and it's Jesus first. And what does Jesus tell us? He says to love him, to love God with all your heart and what love other people. And then there's all this other gray area for things that we spend so much time debating, figuring out, deciding where we stand on an issue, trying to pull people into our team, isolating those who aren't. And I just think we waste so much time as the people of Cotton, as a family have gotten, as a church on non-essential things. When really, you know what's so freeing is when somebody disagrees with you and you just go, okay. We're, we're, hey, but you know what we do agree on? Oh my gosh, how great is Jesus? Thank God for his forgiveness. Man, isn't grace amazing? Aren't you so happy? Come on, what we agree on matters. But I think we have spent as Christians too much of our time debating things That if Jesus came in the room, if Paul was sitting in the front row listening, they'd just shake their heads. Like, let it go. How about move on to the things that are most important? So Paul responds to these things, and I love Paul's response when he's dealing with this. He says, each one should just be fully convinced in his own mind. Why does he lead with that? Because he goes on to talk about judgment. And he says, guess what? One day you're going to stand before Jesus, and you are going to be judged on you. Not somebody else's conviction, and not. I'm one day going to stand before the Lord, and the Lord is not going to judge me on my dad's convictions, Pastor Shanes, Kirsten's, you know, the people in the nursery, Declan's. Convi- He's going to judge me on me. So Paul is trying to get to the point, like guys, focus on you. Once you get you settled and whole and healthy then maybe you can start having productive conversations with other people about stuff. Sin is clear. We're, we're, we're never talking about it. Paul does not say be fully convinced in your mind about sin and you just want to sin and do it. No, 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 no. Sin is clear in scripture. Very, very clear. He's speaking of things that don't have clarity. It's a gray area. It's, there's no boundary necessarily in scripture. And we have to lead with discernment, wisdom, conviction of the Holy Spirit, wisdom and counsel from others, and the scripture. That's what we have to lead with. And I might have a conviction that you don't have, and that's okay. I know that's hard for some of you charismatics in the room today. It's because we want everyone else to have the same conviction. You're looking for a utopia church that does not exist. We come from different backgrounds, we're different parts of the story and the journey. Does does God want us to be in one spirit and one mind in unity? Yes, on the essential things, which is who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, what Jesus will do, that we are living in his, we are created in the image of God, that is essential. There is no question about it, that male and female, both genuinely created in God's image, have value in him. There's no question. But whether or not I wear a costume, or if I like a movie, or go to the movies, or only have certain apps on my TV for certain movies because, you know, that one's really bad, it's like, let it go. Let it go. Because, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to scare that baby. I scared him. I'm not mad, I'm so happy. We have to go and believe the essential things. And this is what brings the the people of God and the family of God together. See, opinions, according to to Paul, is not worth quarreling over. So why do we, church? Why do we we quarrel over it? Why don't we fight for each other and fight for the things we come into unity with? Why don't we fight? for each other to believe that God has a plan and a purpose for us. Instead, we find just the littlest thing that's like, "Mm, I'm not sure I feel comfortable with that. Here's, Paul uses the language of a family. He says, why do you judge your brother? They're not an acquaintance. We're not talking about strangers. We're talking about people that God placed. It says he set us in his family. The Bible says, we are in this together into eternity as a family. So it is our responsibility to not be the judge of our brother and our sister, but to let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do in and through me. And then I trust, if I believe in the Holy Spirit, if I'm a real good charismatic, I believe in the Holy Spirit, guess what? The Holy Spirit will take care of them. Man, you don't like it, do you? Tough crowd, not getting a lot of amens. If we believe in the Holy Spirit, and we believe that he speaks, does he not speak? I believe the spirit of Jesus speak. Guess what? He will take care of them. Yes. I believe it with all my heart. And then guess what? We stay in unity. And ultimately we stay in love with one another. See, Paul says these, these, this reference to the holy days and these Sabbath days. He says, each one be fully convinced in their own heart. And then he goes on to say this. He says, let him do it in honor of the Lord. The ones who abstain are doing it in honor of the Lord. The ones who observe it are doing it in honor of the Lord. Hey, guess what? Everybody's doing what they're doing in honor of the Lord. Insofar as you're doing what you're doing in honor of the Lord, you're in the right place. And we're going to welcome each other and we're going to love each other and we're going to lead our lives with love. Later on, and I'm not going to necessarily, we're not going to read it unless you can get it really quick. Romans 14, 19 and 20 says this. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, I loved this. Do not for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Fill in the space right there. Do not for the sake of, my opinion on this, destroy the work of God. You know what I'd be scared of one day when I stand before Jesus is he go, is, is I'm being judged right there in that moment. And God says, you wasted a lot of time focusing on that one thing. That was destroying the work I was trying to do. That scares me. So guess what? Guess what's a big non-essential thing to me? It's a big non-essential. Women in ministry. (laughs) Gotcha. You're like, that's weird because you're a woman and you're in ministry. Yeah, I believe in it wholeheartedly. I think scripture is explicit. Explains. Jesus himself is so revolutionary in his treatment to women. Jesus leads the way for Paul, who I believe gives license. Paul has apostles, women as deacons. Some have argued that Paul even has some that are considered, are considered apostles. There's some translations that change a woman's name who's considered apostle to a man's name. There's a lot of explicit points that would lead to, first of all, in the early church, women were leading in the church. I believe that. That's my interpretation, my exegetical analysis of the text. I have good friends, people I love and respect so much, who have a very opposite exegetical analysis, and they don't believe in women can preach. I have preached in churches, and people have got up and left. I have preached and poured my heart out and was so ready for a nap and a cup of coffee as soon as I was done. And I had people come up to me multiple times and say, show me in scripture where women can preach. I'm like, oh my gosh, but I did just preach, and now I'm tired. (laughs) Here's the thing. I believe in it, I know God called me. I love this church, we believe in women in ministry, we believe women can preach and teach. I'm so honored that my parents led in that. Pastor Chris has give space for that. We're unapologetic for that. But guess what, it's a non-essential to me. If other people won't listen to me preach, I'm gonna make it guys, I'm okay. It's not the hill I'm gonna die on. It's a non-essential issue for me. There are gonna be people for the rest of my life who don't think I am equipped or biblically can preach and that's okay, I give freedom. I give grace. I know what God has called me in my conviction and I'm gonna walk in it, but I'm gonna give grace to those who don't find that they are on that same page. This is the way we're supposed to walk when it comes to the things of God. We just hold so tightly to things I don't think Jesus is wanting us to hold tightly. to. Are they important? Sure. Of course, women, it's my job, my word. I'm not going to stop doing it. I love it. I know God called me to it, but it's not something for me that I'm going to stand before Jesus one day and he's going to go, how many people did you convince? How many people did you convince to believe in women in ministry? I'm not going to care in that moment. And I promise you, that is not the thing that Jesus is going to judge me on. Yeah. How about Tracy? Did you honor God? in all that you did. When I called you to do something, did you honor me? Did you make me first? Did you honor me in your family? Did you honor me in what I've called you to? Did you honor me in this? Did you showcase my love to people? Did you treat people the way that I asked you to? Did you listen to me as I called? That's what I'll be judged on. And that's what I'm going to live for. We are to live as the people and the family of God. And if that means there are stuff that, man, I just want everyone to understand. I want them to believe. And if it means that keeps me from fully embracing what it means to be a part of the family of God, I'm willing to let that go. Why? Because love is the crux of what it means to be a believer. Love The kingdom of God's number one law is the royal law of love. We have to lead. Do you know that law supersedes faith? Some of you are like, well, I just got to have faith. No, you got to have love first. If you don't have love, you can't, faith can't grow from you. Faith can't flow from a heart that does not first love. We have to be the people of God in all things show love. Colossians 3.14 says, and above all these things put on what? love. Why? Because it binds everything together in perfect harmony. Faith won't bind it all together. Peace won't bind it all together. Your abilities won't bind it all together. Your opinions will not bind it all together, but love will bind it all together in perfect harmony. And faith works the best through love. So what is it church that is essential to you? What's the most essential thing? Be honest with yourself. And hopefully today, and I'm with Pastor Shane, I mean, I preach, I don't just preach for you, I preach for me, and hopefully it helps you too. (laughs) But what is essential? What have I made more essential than the essential things about Jesus? I've named some, Jesus is the main thing. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no question about that. Jesus coming and dying for you, resurrecting three days later. That is, in, that is a truth. We live on that. We stand on that. We're not a church without that. I stand on that. Eschatology, not an essential. I don't know how he's going to come back. If it's going to be pre-trib, pre-trib, post-trib. I don't know if, there's, if I'm gonna, you know, people are going to leave before me. I don't know. I'm just excited to get there the way he wants me to get there. <laughs> guess what? I'm just going to be living in the essentials, not the non-essentials. And where there's disagreement, guess what? I'm gonna give grace I'm gonna give charity I'm gonna live in full assurance of what God has spoken to me and I'm gonna give grace for others that have a different opinion this is what it means to be gospel people this is what it means to be an early church person living in a modern world where there are so many different opinions and let me tell you something sometimes you don't like the things that are said or how it is said I think that's one of the biggest things I come across as a pastor, is it's so much tension over things that are said, and I think we need to be Teflon people. Now, Teflon is toxic. Don't have it in your home, but have it as a person. (laughs) Come on, when's the last time somebody said something stupid? Which, God bless them, we've all done it. Half the time, you just are tired, hungry, need more caffeine, okay? What if somebody says something stupid or they say something you don't like? Let it go. Try this. Try leading with forgiveness and love and not carrying it. I think Christians carry so many burdens we were never intended to carry. And one of the biggest ones is unforgiveness over silly things. And the devil knows how to play. So he knows how to get in there. He knows the buttons to push. He knows the things that will irritate you. He knows the things that will offend you. He knows the things will trigger you. So guess what he'll do? He will spend all his energy creating that chaos in your life. And we are like his, we are just great bait for it. We fall into that trap. What if the next time somebody says something, does something, or we, we don't like, it doesn't, it doesn't fit our opinion and our worldview or whatever, and not to say you can't have it. Have your opinions. I love it. Have strong ones. It's great. But when somebody else doesn't, to keep peace and not destroy the works of God, how about you just go, bless them? Here's a practical way you do it. What if you prayed for people that irritated you? <laughs> what if you prayed for people who offended you? What if we spend more time doing that than talking about it or, let, or rehearsing it? Are you the person that's in your car and you're rehearsing what you should have said and it's so much better in the car later on? Yeah. Pastor Jude told me this years and years ago. I remember Pastor Jude Fiquet says, Don't you dare rehearse things. That's demonic. He says, don't you dare rehearse what you could have said, should have said, would have said, whatever. How about in that moment where you want to do that? Because what that is, that's just, it's like fueling the fire. Why don't you in that space pray? Release forgiveness. Let that thing go. Don't give any space for the devil to put a wedge between you and any family member of God. This is what God's called us to. Why is this the prequel? Because in the next several weeks, Pastor Chris is going to say some stuff. It's going to rub you the wrong way. Some of you are going to go, no. Nah. And you're going to want to shut down me. Nope, don't agree with that. Nope, nope, nope. Here I am to say, this is all I'm here to say. How about you let the Holy Spirit lead the convictions? And how about you give grace? And can we all humble ourselves to say, we have not arrived? If my favorite Pastor Paul can say he has not obtained it all yet and he pretty much crushes all of us in his faith, then maybe we can say there's some, there's some, there's some growth. There's, there's some things I need to grow in. So here's, here's the homework, and Pastor Shane will give you more and better. But here's what we're going to do as the people of God. We are going to live in the essentials. We're going to let go of non-essentials. And we're going to lead and live in love with everything. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me? Not 35, but pretty close. Come on. This is, this is exciting to me. Yeah. This is the kind of message that I think should make us leave and excited. Because yeah. this is what it means to be a Christian. Yeah. A disciple, a follower of Jesus. Does it mean I might have some work to do this week? Yep. Can I tell you this? You should come to church wanting to be challenged, not coddled. Yeah. Yeah. Church is, we don't even do, I mean we 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 don't do church the way we probably should do church. Church is to equip, not to comfort. Yeah. It, it, that's the truth. <laughs> biblical. That's biblical. It's to equip the saints so that you go out and do it. It's not to come in and give you a big, warm, fuzzy hug, although the Holy Spirit does that. And I love that he's so good. But we come, and we come guns a-blazing, and we want everything just da 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 And if it's not, we walk out like, psh. I was like, man, think of all the things we could do in our world if Christians walked as Christians. So I'm challenging me, I'm challenging us, and I'm believing, and I know we have a great church. I'm so proud of our church, but I know we can do more. There's more people that need to hear about Jesus. There's people that are waiting. And a lot of people don't come to church because of what church has a reputation of, not welcoming. Instead, we quarrel. Instead, we want you to fit into our box. We want you to look just like us. I don't want people to look just like me. I want people to look like Jesus. Like, that's what our mission is. So, church, let's all let the Holy Spirit go to work on our hearts. Can you do that for a minute? Just in this space, bow your heads, close your eyes. I know as I studied this, as I've preached it twice, the Holy Spirit speaks to me. I know things I need to let go. There are some non-essential things I've made far more important. And today I'm... I'm laying him down. Why? Because I want to be a part of God's mission. I want to be a part of what God's doing in our world, and in order to do that, I know He's asking me to to lay down some of the things that might be trying to destroy His work instead of help His work. If God has spoken anything, if the Holy Spirit, He's so good and kind. If he's spoken anything to you today and maybe there's something that you've been focusing on and non-essential and he's asking you to lay it down today and just trust him with it maybe it's someone in your family maybe there's disagreement disgruntles maybe there's been a division somewhere maybe it's a person within the church or the community of faith and it's caused a rift and the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now to say what Paul told the church in Rome welcome them and don't quarrel over opinions if that's you Holy Spirit speaking to you, can you just put your hand on your heart? Thank you for your honesty this morning. God is so good. He's not mad at us. He's not even disappointed in us. He just so desires to take us to new places so that he can show the world how good he is. So right now, Holy Spirit, I thank you for every person that you've spoken to. I thank you that we've allowed our hearts and to be open and receptive to what you want us to grow in and areas of our life that we need to give grace and liberty to others. And, but more than anything, Lord, you're showing us how to lead our life with love. Lord, I pray that everywhere we go, we'd be people, Lord, that would showcase your love. I pray we would lead with love. We would speak with love. We would, we would give our actions would reflect your love. Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, whatever things that maybe we have made higher than we should, or right now we, we lay it down at the feet of Jesus. The Bible says to cast your cares on him because you care for us. And I feel like these things have become burdens and cares that you never intended us to carry. So right now, in the presence of Jesus, we come and we lay these things down at the feet of Jesus and we trust you. We trust you with our friends, our family, those that maybe we've struggled with. And Lord, we lay it down. We trust you with our convictions and we trust your your spirit in other people's lives. And Lord, we, right now, we commit to being a part of the work, not the mess. Lord, let us be workers in the kingdom of God not those that are messing up what you're, trying to, what you're trying to establish. Lord, let us be strong in our convictions, but also gracious to others. Lord, let us be strong in what you've called us to, but loving to others. Let us be forgiving and gracious and kind. Lord, let us operate the fruits of the Spirit everywhere we go and with everyone we come into contact with. Jesus, we thank you that you allow us to be on mission with you. God, I thank you that you use your church as the vehicle to showcase your love and your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, help us to be the people of God that you have called us to be and let nothing that the enemy would try to do to bring disunity or disruption or to derail the purposes of God. So right now, Lord, we commit, we commit, we commit to have unity and essential things. Liberty and non-essential things, but charity and love in all things in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, would you just say amen this morning? Would you thank God? He's so good, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit CapitalChurch.co.